He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. We will sing those words from now to the shores of eternity, and even then we will never stop singing them because the love of God goes far beyond life or death. It reaches from eternity past into the future, and we celebrate that. Uh, i got to be careful because when I hear that song, I love it so much that I tend to sing really loud and lose my voice, and that's okay when I'm up here leading worship, but uh, if I have to preach, get to preach, uh, then I have to you know, save my voice a little bit so that I can speak. I'm grateful to be at a church uh, that, as Tim said, makes investments uh, in the next generation, and knowing that uh, one day I hopefully will stand uh, at a church and, and be the pastor of that church and do this on a weekly basis, I am grateful that my first time preaching will not be in front of them for the first time. Uh, and instead, I get to share that experience with you guys. Now, I have preached before. In fact, the last time that I did, uh, the Lord split the heavens open and the drought was ended finally. I don't know if any of you remember that from last year. Uh, but I preached on Sunday night, and then Monday morning it rained. And uh, two things that I want you to take away from that. Number one, God is faithful to answer the prayers of his people. And number two, uh, pray for me, because it's been a little while since I've done this. And so uh, go ahead and, and ask on my behalf that the Lord would, uh, would grant his word to be lifted up and, and his name to be exalted. If you have your Bibles with you, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Today, as you may have guessed, uh, we are going to talk about love. We're going to talk about the source of love, its definition, and an imperative that results from these things. And, and church, I have good news for you. God loves you more than anyone else. But I also have some challenging news, and that's this. When you experience God's love, you cannot stay the same. You cannot remain as you are. God's love is a changing love. And therefore, if we experience his love this morning, we will walk away changed. 1 John 4, 7 through 11 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that this morning you would be in this place demonstrating your love to your people as we now even know that you are. Lord, we thank you for your love which has touched countless lives throughout history, which continues to touch our lives and which is going to touch lives until the day that you should return again and then for all of eternity. Father, I thank you that you have demonstrated love to us, that you have shown us what love is, and that we can follow your example into it. Lord, 
would you speak through me this morning to convict us all, starting with me, of how great your love is and how then we should live our lives based on that truth. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. There are many elements of human experience that transcend the boundaries of time, culture, and language. Here's what I mean. We all recognize things like laughter, adventure, music, competition, and fear. And there are a number of other things that we could add to this list, but in all of them, though we might differ by color, race, religion, or upbringing, we relate because we share these experiences. I'm going to give you an example. I don't care where you're from or who you are. If a lion is charging at you, you will be afraid. It's not, it's not, it does not matter where you come from. That's unique to the human experience, and it transcends wherever you are brought up. There are examples of, of each of these. Competition, for instance, we see that this goes all the way back in recorded history. The Greeks had their Olympics, the Romans had their Colosseum. We see it with music. Uh, you can hop on Spotify, if that's what you do, or Apple Music, and realize that songs that are written and recorded here in the United States in the English language are popular in places where English is not spoken. We don't need the words necessarily. We all understand music and what's happening there. Well, perhaps more common to the human experience than even all of these, and certainly older than them all, is the experience of love. It is foundational, it's undeniable, it's widespread and unstoppable. We all recognize it. There are certain signs that we see of it, various forms and different manifestations of, of each of those forms. So let me give you a, a couple of categories and a few ideas of different kinds of love. The first category is these, what I'm calling transient loves. That is, love that passes away. You see this in lover's love, right? Uh, it, it could be manifested by physical touch, uh, giggling about absolutely nothing, um, and other things that I'm not going to talk about this morning. Uh, the second type of, of a passing away love, you can call it whatever you want, but it's love for material possessions. I call it cookie love because I love cookies, and so that's a struggle of mine. Um, but, but what happens is uh, you, you can see this in people when they kind of like lean their head back into light. Ah, that was good. All right, and so it may be love for a movie. It may be love for a view that you're experiencing. It may be love for coffee or for a snowy day or any of those number of things. There are loves that pass away. But then secondly, there are transcendent loves. Loves that are meant to be eternal. And I would say this, the first of these is family love. We can see this, especially around this time of year, right? We gather with our families, we smile together, we laugh together, we give gifts to one another, and it's because we love one another. Now, lover's love can, of course, become family love, and that's what happens in marriage, and that's how that transient love becomes a love that remains. But the fourth one is the most important, and that's divine love. Divine love is the source of of them all, and you can see manifestations in this, of course, hopefully in all of your experience with the love that the Lord has for you. These transcendent loves are, or should be anyway, unfailing and everlasting. They are wired into who you are. 
But unless this last one, this divine love, is infused into the first three, they will all pass away and show themselves to be worthless. If you do not love, to say it another way, with God's love, then the other loves that you express do not carry eternal significance. Today we're going to explore divine love, and, and I have a question for you. Love has one source. It has innumerable expressions. You can't help but love something. So church, I ask you today, how is your love? What does it look like? Do you receive love? Do you return love to God in heaven? Do you even know what his love is? Have you tasted it? I pray that today you're able to find out. As we look back at our text for this morning, I'll uh, turn your eyes to verses 7 and 8 again of uh, 1 John chapter 4. And I'll read those again for us um, so that we can move into point one, which is this. We're going to search the source of love and its result. The source of love and its result. John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So, point number one underneath this. Love is from God. It's everlasting and ever-present. It's a reality that reaches to eternity past, long before any of you in this room were born. And long before I was born, God loved the other members of the Trinity. So before creation even happened, love was occurring. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. So even before time began, God demonstrated love from person to person in the Holy Trinity. That's its source. Love is from God. Second, everyone who loves has been born of God. Now, be careful with this. Don't miss this distinction. John is not talking about what I called cookie love or lover's love or any of those kind of loves. John is talking about divine love. The one who demonstrates divine love has been born of God. This is that love that comes from God. Anyone can love Saw's barbecue or a beautiful snowy day, maybe a new pair of shoes if that's what you want for Christmas. Anybody can love a cup of coffee from Jets. Anybody can love the University of Miami's football team, the Hurricanes. I think I'm the only one in the state that does, though. But these are not divine loves, and they signify little more than just preference. What John is talking about is that divine love that is transcendent and everlasting. It always forgives, it always sacrifices, and it always places others before itself. That is the love that is from God. And if you demonstrate that love, then you show you have been born of God. But number three is the reverse of that. The one who does not love does not know God. Now, this is more of the same that we've seen 
from John all throughout this text. He's told us that um, he who hates his brother walks in darkness and does not know God. The one who walks in darkness himself does not know God. So now he's giving us another evidence of what proves you to be a true disciple of Christ, a child of God. And this time he says, the one who does not love does not know God. God. This is comprehensive knowledge. There is experience to be had of God's love. If you've never experienced slavery, if you've never been freed from slavery, if you've never been led out of, of exile, if you have never felt the burden of sin lifted off your shoulders, then you cannot know God's love. It's a changing love. It's a freeing love. It's a redeemer's love. It's a love that goes after what its object is. And this is true even before the fall. Even before redemption's story began in the pages of scripture, God's love was a redeeming love. It was a love that reached out and brought back. This is divine love and it's the love that John speaks of. Now, at the end of this phrase, we come to the, the crux, the central point of the matter, and that's this, number four. John says, this is true because God is love. It's a lofty statement. It's heavy, and we do well to sit and to think about it, to reflect on it. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb. I did it in the first service, and nobody came up to me afterward and told me that I spoke wrongly, so hopefully... We're still in the clear for this service. Commentaries seem to struggle a lot with this idea that God is love. And, and I understand. We're all quick to protect God's character from these hippie lovers that want to say, yeah, absolutely, God is love and love is God, right? Love reigns, love rules the world. We're quick to protect his character from that kind of attack. And so what we do is we run to other attributes. We say, well, yeah, God is love, just like he's holy and he's just, he's powerful, he's true. And this is all well and good, but it's not exactly what John is trying to do here. These are attributed to, uh, to God's character, these other things. He's holy, he's just, he's powerful. These are attributed to God. Don't, don't miss that. If you don't speak of these, you are wrong because they are true. But hang with me because if this is what John wanted to do, he would have said, God is loving. God is loving, not God is love. The other writers in Scripture would have said, not God is holy, but God is holiness. God is justice. God is power. God is truth. And in some sense, these are fair. But there is something fundamentally different about what John is doing here. He's done it before. He's done it with light. He said that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. So here's what I'm suggesting he's trying to pull out. Hang with me. If you're trying to speak about character, you use an attribute, right? So you might say, Brian is nice, right? Brian is funny. Brian is handsome, if you like. Perhaps right now, Brian is confusing, but when you're trying to speak about nature, you use another noun. You say, Brian is a man. 
Not Brian is confusing, but Brian is confusion itself. Brian is a worship leader, and maybe he should return to that after this morning. <laughs> this is what John is trying to do. He's, he's not necessarily speaking of a character trait. Again, it's fair to say God is loving. He is. But here John is speaking of God's nature. He says God is love. This is God's very nature, and it is good news. We don't need to be afraid of this, and here's why. It means that God defines love. We don't get to. As much as sometimes I want to, as much as the culture around me wants to, as much as our government would like to, love has been defined. It is defined nowhere else than in the very nature of God. So don't be afraid of this. Don't fear the fact that God is love. Do you know what that means? That means that the fact that God is holy and God is just, that means that those things are love too. Do you see what I'm getting at? God is just, therefore justice is loving. God is truthful, therefore the truth, to demonstrate the truth, is loving. God is holy, therefore to be holy is loving. This is the nature of God, and he gets to define it. Our culture desires for love to be God. They want love to, to reign. But this would be to replace a living, personal, and active God with an intellectual and emotional idea. And oh, what we lose when we do that. If our God is not alive, then our God is incapable and not worthy of worship. But our God is alive. And it is his nature to be loving. Therefore, we say freely, God is love. And we don't fear what that means. When we allow those who are not born of God to define love, here's what happens. Love becomes something that it's not. And as you see all around you, we end up loving the wrong things in the wrong way. We love people like we love pizza. We order what we want. We customize them. We consume them for our gain. And then when we're done with them, we throw them away. This is not love. God is love. And this is news. It's good news if you are ready to let God himself define it. So how does he? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Verses 9 and 10. John says this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. Some of your versions may say the propitiation for our sins. So, major category number three here, the definition of love by God's standards. We talked about its source. We're now going to talk about its definition by his standards. So point number one underneath that. John says that love, or namely the divine love, that is characteristic of God's nature is revealed. Understand two things about this revelation. Number one, it's not mandatory. God is not required to demonstrate his love to us. He could have absolutely chosen not to love us, not 
to reveal his love to us. It is a choice. But the second thing is this, revelation, when it does come, and it has because God has chosen to love us, revelation, when it comes, enlightens. Because of this, it changes the way that somebody lives. When a revelation occurs, it changes how you live. I'll give you two examples. The first is this. Uh, I have been accused and truthfully accused of being a bit of a lead foot when it comes to the way that I drive my car. Um, on the interstates, when the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, I usually do 80, and I don't see a huge problem with that. I think that it's okay. Some of you do 75. Well, 80's not that much worse, right? <laughs> However, if it is revealed to me two things, either that a police officer is ahead or that I'm in a work zone and the speed limit has changed, I slow my car down. You see how that works? Revelation brings knowledge, which then encourages me to live differently. Another example, uh, I'm more or less garbage in the kitchen uh, when it comes to cooking, and some of my friends know this who, who spend time with me. Um, so sometimes I do stupid things. I've never actually done the one that I'm about to share with you, praise the Lord. But, uh, you know, if my roommates are in the kitchen kicking around me, I may see a knife on the counter, and I need that knife you know, to slice toast or something, because that's about all I can do. And so I grab that knife, and I proceed to slice with it until it is revealed to me that that knife was just used to cut raw meat. Right. I would then turn that knife away, throw the whatever away, and start over with my toast. See, revelation brings a change in behavior. God's love has been revealed. So I ask you, what does it change about us? Now, John also specifies that God's love is revealed not far off. We don't have to look for it. He says that God's love is revealed among us. It's here. It's in this place. You don't have to look far to see the love of God if you are in this place because it has been revealed among us. So, number one, God's love is revealed. Number two, God... Uh, God's love has content, and that's what John points out uh, in verse uh, 9 and 10. He says that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. There's a few things I want you to catch about the nature of this sending. The first is this, that sending is sacrificial. Sending is sacrificial. God did not send an angel or a spirit to come and redeem us. He didn't create something new to come and get us. No, God sends himself. He sends his only begotten son, the only son that he ever had. This is what Abraham and Isaac foreshadowed in the Old Testament. When God comes to Abraham and says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him to me. This is what other passages in Scripture refer to. John 3.16, when it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the only son that he ever had. Love, this grace, which is free to us, costs God the life of his son. 
And sure, the story doesn't end there, but we need to understand the magnitude of this sacrifice. We need to understand the magnitude of this love that God has for us. Sending is sacrificial. Second, sending is incarnational. That's a big word, but what it means, at least to me, is this, that God does not fix us from far off. As if he could, right? Our sickness is deep inside of our souls, and so we need a doctor who is not afraid to get near to us. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that you're going in for surgery, uh, and you find out that the doctor who's about to perform your operation is squeamish around blood. It doesn't work, because the moment that he cuts you open, he has to step back, or he passes out, and that's all the worst. God can't fix our problem from far off, so what does he do? He takes on flesh and comes near to us. Jesus gets into our mess, and this is how he heals us. So sending is sacrificial, it's incarnational, or it gets in close. And then third, sending saves us from certain death. The Bible talks about a great chasm that was fixed between us and God by our transgressions. See, by ourselves, we bore death by our sinful deeds. We were dead. We, we were cut off. We were the very enemies of God. But John says, through him, we might live. Through him, we are made alive. So love is sacrificial. It gets in close and it saves. The next point is this. This love was not in us. John says, love consists in this, not that we, but that he. And this next part of this message is, is difficult for me because it requires some honest self-examination. And, and I'll speak from my experience, but I hope that you'll understand that you relate because this is our condition. So a couple of questions for you, church. How could we love God before Christ? If we believe that his love was demonstrated in sacrifice, in the incarnation, and in the fact that it saves us, let's ask those questions of ourselves. Could we have sacrificed for God? No. We're by nature selfish. We're idolaters. In fact, rather than sacrifice, for someone, sacrifice ourselves for someone else, we usually sacrifice others for the purpose of self-advancement. And I'm ashamed to say that I still do this. What about this idea of God getting close to us? Would we have done this for him? No, of course not. We were, we were cast out from the Garden of Eden. So by nature, we could not draw close to God. And even if we could, the question is, would we? And I know for me, the answer is no. I'm ashamed to admit how little my desire is to pray and to study his word even now after I've been a believer for 18 years. Apart from Christ, there's no chance that I would have ever tried to get close to God. Well, could we have saved God? And in that sense, the, the question itself is, is funny. Of, of course not. What could we offer God that he does not already have? Love does not consist in that we loved God. Love consists in that he loved us and sent 
his only begotten son. Don't miss this. These two words are inextricably related. God loved and sent. As proof of his love, he sent. See, love requires action and proof. And this is exactly what God did. He backed up his love. How? By offering Jesus as a propitiation. Now, much could be made of this. In fact, whole sermons have been made just of this one word. But for today, I'll try and just describe it by two characters. These two characters are familiar to you probably. They are Jesus and Barabbas. You see, and before Jesus goes to the cross, the choice is made between Jesus unjustly condemned to death and Barabbas justly condemned to death. But rather than Barabbas taking the punishment that is due him, Jesus takes his punishment and Barabbas walks off free. This is what atoning sacrifice is. Jesus takes the punishment of Barabbas. And in the same way, he takes the punishment for you and I. He goes to bear our sins. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is the greatest marvel that will ever be, that he who is God over all stooped so low as this. I can understand his stooping to hunger and to thirst. I can understand his stooping to poverty and to life as a carpenter. I can even understand his stooping to death. But that he should bear our sins, this is the greatest stoop of all. How must the Lord have loved us that he did not disdain to bear even the enormous burden of our sin? Well, his love comes to us undeserved and without a cost, and and much could be made of it, but John does not linger long here. Because love does not come without a command. Verse 11 says this, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. Here John picks up the old law that's expressed time and again throughout the Bible that, uh, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But he had earlier expressed it as a commandment of love and so now he is expressing it as a commandment of love and qualifying it by a condition. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. This is how John can confidently assert what he said back in verses 7 and 8, that if you do not love, you do not know God, and that those who do love have been born of God. Because the love that comes from God fills his people. It strengthens them. It gives them hope, and it gives them purpose. It gives them joy, and it gives them confidence. It is that perfect love that casts out fear, which we'll see in the next passage in the coming weeks. His love is free. It's personal. It comes to you, and it also comes to me. How then can you or I look a brother or sister in the face and deny love to them? 
How can we refuse to meet their needs even before we meet our own? How can we be cold to our family and not give our everything for their betterment? How can we not express love to our wives, our husbands, our kids, and our friends? If we have been loved in this way, we also ought to love one another. A model has been given to us. God provided a model of what love looks like. It's based on his definition and he invites us into it in this passage. John says, if God loved us in this way, so also we must love one another. One commentator says this, if God's love really does consist in his sending and sacrificing the son, then this has unavoidable consequences for John's readers. And of course, you and I are added to that because we just shared this together. Those consequences are that they are freed from the constraints of human selfishness and can love others just as they have been loved. Now, we saw earlier that God loved us in this. He sent his son and he sacrificed his son. So using that as our framework, we ought to look around. If in this way God has loved us, so also we should love our brothers and sisters, both in blood and in faith. We send to them and we sacrifice for them. When they have a need, we, we run to meet it. And when it's going to cost us, we freely offer it to them. If we have been loved in this way, so also we love our spiritual mentors and our accountability partners. We send for them and we sacrifice for them. If we have been loved in this way, then husbands, you ought to love your wives in the same way. And wives, you ought to love your husbands in the same way. You send for them and you sacrifice for them. Most of all, If in this way we have been loved, so also should we love the very God who taught us how to. We love the Lord our God. We send ourselves wherever his word would command us to go. We obey his Holy Spirit in its promptings to lead us to where he would have us go. And we sacrifice ourselves for his cause. And we don't do so cheaply. Because to do so cheaply would be to mock the way that God loved us. When it came time for him to sacrifice, he gave his only begotten son. So you and I ought also to sacrifice, not from what we don't want to give up, but from those things that we want to hold on to, but that he has called us to give away. Well, if we're willing to send and sacrifice for all of these then shouldn't we also be willing to do so for the people who are not inside these walls every Sunday? There is a generation of lost people outside of these walls who have not tasted the love of God like you and I have tasted it. They have not experienced the joy of knowing and being in fellowship with God. And if we have been loved, then in the same way, we should go and we should love them. We should send for them and, and we should sacrifice for them. Church, know that in this life, 
our broken and our fleshly attempts to love will be much more striving and only sometimes successful. But the more we listen to the Holy Spirit, the more we are obedient to His prompting, the more we image our Creator and become like Jesus. And this is our very purpose. So where do we go from here? Well, God's love is for all, and all are designed for it. They're designed to receive it from Him. They're designed to respond to it and then to reciprocate it back to Him. And then we're called to reach out with it. So church, I ask you today, how is your love? And don't worry, I'm asking myself the same question. How is my love? His love is deep. It's wide. It's jealous. And it's furious. It's unending and ever-present. You can't outrun it. And you certainly cannot outlast it. And you really ought not try to live without it. Frederick Lehman, a, a writer of hymns, said this, Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man by scribe a trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Or perhaps for some of you younger friends, uh, like me, we could just reflect on the words of the song that we sang earlier. He is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane, and I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Have you ever been in a hurricane? Have you ever watched a tree bend underneath the weight of a hurricane's wind? Well, if you have, and if you've experienced God's love, you know that the two things look pretty similar in some cases. His love stretches us. It breaks us. Sometimes it tears us apart, but it certainly does not allow us to stay the same. It leaves us better after it's done with us. And that's where it's very different from a hurricane's love. You can trust your Father and you can trust His love. This is what John says in 1 John 3, chapter 1. We read this just a few weeks ago. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are because of the love with which He loved us. So church... How's your love? Do you know it? Have you tasted it? Do you show it? Never forget God loved in this. He sent for you. He sacrificed for you. Is that what your love looks like? I pray that it is so, and if it's not, in many ways I know that mine is not even this morning then we pray that the Spirit would convict us and that He would show us how to love as we have been loved. So as we close this message, I ask that you would close your eyes and, and bow your heads. And in a little bit, we're going to move to a time of invitation. But before we do, I want to read a very familiar passage to you. And I want to read it to you as you realize that this is the kind of love that the Father has for you.
So as we approach him right now, would you thank him for his love, that this is the kind of love that God has for us? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. It is not rude. And it is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. God, we are humbled and in awe as we stand before you to know that your love never ends. We are blown away by the fact that though you did not have to, you chose to reveal your love among us. And you did this by sending your Son and by sacrificing Him on my behalf as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for the weight of sin that I bore and that I should have had to carry with me into eternity. But because you loved me and because you love every person that sits in this room right now, you took their sin off of their shoulders, you bore it on their behalf, and you offered your son as an atoning sacrifice so that we could go free without the weight of our sin dragging us down every step of the way. We are free to walk in love. God, we know this morning that your demonstration of love does not allow us to remain unloving. And so I pray for anybody in this room, Lord, and I, I pray for myself in this, that you would help me to love as I have been loved. God, that you will convict me when my love is self-seeking or when it is incomplete, when it is not patient or kind, when it does envy and when it boasts. God, with your spirit inside of me, show me to love as I have been loved. May I send everything that I have. May we as a church send everything that we have for the betterment of your people and for the reaching out to a lost and dying world of sinners. May we love as we have been loved. Oh Lord, you are great. Your love is unstoppable. It's unsearchable. It's magnificent. And it is more than we could ever imagine. And so today, I pray that you, having given us a taste of that love from your word, would help turn our eyes to you, that we might see your greatness, that we might recognize that every breath that we take belongs to you and therefore deserves to be turned right around back in the service of you. It is your breath that's in our lungs. And so from your love to us, God, we offer our praise. And we praise you for the way that you have loved us. God, help us to never take for granted the fact that we have been loved and help us to go and do likewise. 
It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.